0: on that? Yeah, great stuff. Um, We're asking that question, hashtag, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? And uh, we've looked at lots of different aspects of Jesus over the weeks, and we've got a few more weeks left, but we want to really encourage you, this is not just a sales pitch, but this book stall here. there was a um, Chris Kandaya, who is a fairly well-known Christian speaker, at the beginning of this year said he wanted to do a big encouragement for Christians to start upping their reading of Christian material. And not to bring in a better um, kind of balance sheet for Christian bookshops, although that's a benefit, but actually to start getting people that, you know, to reading wisdom. A lot of these books here are purely about Jesus. We really want to encourage you to get some and start reading some of the stuff. You'll be blown away by some of the things that you read. So just a really big encouragement. The information's all up there about how to do that. So we're looking at this, our seventh in the series. I think it is seven anyway. Yeah, probably something like that. Jesus the Caller. And uh, I don't know if you recognize this. Um, Some people might do. This is St. Peter's Tomb in the Vatican in Rome. And a good number of years ago, uh, we went to Rome for our honeymoon, and uh, I was standing literally about 10 meters away from this. Now, I I know I'm not Catholic, all right? But I do like a relic, (laughs) all right? And this one is one of the best, all right? Because there's really good archaeological evidence that this is more than likely the remains of Simon Peter. And I remember standing there, maybe about 10 meters away behind a glass screen, looking at the casket that's got his remains, and going, I'm 10 meters away from the remains of someone who walked, literally walked, with Jesus. And I was quite emotional, because this is one of his disciples who we read about. So I kind of love the whole thing about disciples. And really strongly linked to that is um, Britain's Got Talent. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you watched last night's final. Anyone? Anyone happy with the result? No, oh, we've got a bit of, oh, oh, oh. okay, well, calm down. Um, I'll not ruin it for you if have not watched it, but if you, if you know Britain's Got Talent, people come on and they do their, their act, whether it's with a puppy dog or with a, a hoop or a, whatever, and the judges have got four big Xs, and if they don't like it, they go, press the button, and you're out of there, okay? Four big Xs, and you're, you're abandoned, okay? Now, a bit like it is, is the X factor. Have you seen the X factor? And you know that they have some singers come on and they're brilliant in their audition. And they bring some people on who think they're brilliant, but really are rubbish. (laughs) And what's really interesting is on the final, before you get into the kind of showdown between the last competitors, they bring on the rubbish ones to do like a piece of entertainment. And they sing with full gusto and passion a brilliant song. And it's awful because they're the worst of the worst. So were Jesus' disciples. <laughs> they were the worst of the worst. You might know a little bit about um, uh, schooling in, in first century Israel. We have covered this before, but there were three levels of schooling, similar to ours at the moment. There was the first level, which is where um, everyone would learn the first five books of the Bible. Not just their names, the whole books. Indeed. For, by... By rote, they would learn Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, by memory. And the best of these guys would go into the next school, and they would learn not just those first five books, they would learn the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures by heart. And you think, memory verses we do are difficult. And then the best of these ones, while well, they're the creme de la creme, they go off and they learn... Um, the teachings of the famous rabbis, and they learn those off by heart. So it's not just, it's the Torah, it's the entirety of the Old Testament, then it's all this kind of commentaries as well, and then the best of these ones would find themselves a rabbi. And the rabbi would test them to see how good they really are. And when he was satisfied, they were the best of the best of the best of the best, he would say these words, Lech Akarai, come, follow me. Then we've got Jesus, who instead goes to some fishermen and says, hey, lads, lek akarai, come follow me. You school dropouts, you misfits, you manual laborers who haven't got a degree among you, come follow me. They're so bold over, it's no wonder they say yes, and they go immediately. This is a massive honor. So I want to ask you a really simple question. How many disciples were there? You don't trust me, do you? (laughs) How many disciples were there? Twelve. Rubbish. (laughs) There weren't twelve disciples. Let's have a look. Um, well, we, 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 well, we'll get to that in a second. He went up on a mountainside and called to those he wanted. He appointed the twelve. Yeah, twelve. Twelve's there again. He appointed these twelve. Twelve, there's the names. We know them. There's the twelve. They're their names. James, uh, Simon, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas Iscariot. Yeah, we know those guys. Those are the twelve disciples, aren't they? Um... <laughs> What about these disciples? Lazarus, Martha, Mary, Cleopas, Nathanael, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Salome, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph Persabbas, Matthias, and Zacchaeus, and others. They're all disciples of Jesus. Were there three disciples, Peter, James, and John? Were there 12 disciples? Were there 72? Because Jesus sent out 72? Were there, actually, according to the um, first chapter of Acts, 120 of the believers together? Were there 5,000 of them? There were more disciples. <laughs> And within any gathering of people, you're going to have a mixture of people, personalities, and temperaments. And this is Jesus' mixture. He calls the fisherman and the financier. Simon Peter was the fisherman. Judas was some kind of guy who handled the money. He was the money bags man, he was some kind of financier, probably. He knew what he was doing with money. He called a guy called Andrew. If you read Andrew's story, it's fascinating. He's like an also-ran because he's kind of in the shadow of Peter. He's the one who brings Peter to Jesus. He's the one who brings the little boy to Jesus with the five of those two fish. Here is Andrew, a real believer. And then we have Thomas, who's a bit of a doubter. And then we have these two blokes at the bottom. We've got this guy here. His name is Levi or Matthew, who was a tax collector, a collaborator with the oppressing forces of Rome. A disgrace to his Jewishness. And then beside him, there's a guy called Simon, often called Simon the Zealot. He was a freedom fighter, virtual terrorist. These guys would not have gone out for a pint. (laughs) Unless it was a pint of blood, probably. (laughs) They were not friends. They were complete and utter enemies. Isn't this amazing that these guys, completely different ends of their beliefs and their social standings and their politics, they are within Jesus' band of rabble. Jesus is the unifying factor. I say that because this week we've got a little thing called an election. You might have noticed. I know people who think that Jesus would vote Labour. I know people who would say Jesus was a Conservative. Nonsense, he was Liberal Democrat. I think we're pushing it with the Green Party. But no, There are six big parties here, okay? And the thing is, we often think Jesus would have been on our side because we see Jesus through the lens of our political stance or our theological stance or our ethical stance and Jesus matches our thing. Regardless of where we come from, across the political spectrum, whether you're red or blue or yellow or orange or purple or pink spots, I don't know. There are many believers who are in the corridors of government who own the name of Jesus across the political spectrum. So don't think if you vote conservative, all right, Christians do, or I vote Labour because Jesus would. Jesus is the unifying factor. As he was with a terrorist and a collaborator, a fisherman and financier, a believer and a doubter. Just a little throwaway thing about discipleship there. So we have all these disciples, and in Mark chapter 3, uh, it says that he appointed 12, and he appointed these guys as apostles. Apostle is a Greek word, apostoloi. It's from a a Hebrew word called shariah. And uh, Shalaya, sorry, and essentially, it's kind of a delegate. It's a person who's like an ambassador, a person who's a representative who goes with the full authority of the king or the monarch. They go and they go to his new place and they speak on behalf of the king. And that's why he chose these 12 apostles. And when we think about the call that Jesus gives to the disciples, the call that he gives to us, we often think about Matthew chapter 28, that they are sent into all the world to preach the gospel. I missed something so blatantly obvious in this passage. So simple. They are called to be with Jesus before anything else. Before any preaching, before any teaching or evangelism, before any outreach, healing, power encounter, they are called to be with Jesus and that he might send them out. I have missed that so often when I've read that because I've got a pair of goggles that says we're sent out to be missionaries. We're sent, we're called to be. It's true in Israel in the first century. A rabbi would call his um, disciples, his Talmudim, and they would spend their time and they lived their lives with their rabbi. There's one account even of one particularly overzealous um, disciple who followed his rabbi into the bathroom and stood there watching what he did. The rabbi said, please leave, <laughs> because they wanted to follow the pattern of the rabbi. They were to take on and learn their rabbi's teaching. And the rabbi's teaching would have been their interpretation of the, the Torah, how it should be applied to everyday life. They needed to learn all that stuff. On top of all the, the Old Testament, um, Torah, everything else, all the different commentaries, they had to learn their, their master's um, interpretation of the Torah. And, he, and, and any rabbi's teaching was called his yoke. So as a disciple, a Talmudim, you take your rabbi's yoke upon you, his teaching. So Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me if you're burnt out, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my teaching upon you, and you'll find rest for your souls. He says, take my yoke, because my yoke is not a list of things you need to learn off by heart and by rote. You are called to be with me. First things first, we're called to be. There are two words for the word disciple in Greek. The first word is mathanos, and it means, it's a verb, it means to disciple someone, okay, or to, to be involved in, in discipling. Then there's mathetes, which is to be a disciple. And uh, what's interesting is the word mathanos, which is Which is the word to do discipleship, occurs about 24 times in the New Testament. Mathetes, which says to be a disciple, occurs 267 times. There's a difference there, isn't there? And I wonder, I may be pushing it too far, but I'm wondering if it's telling us that before we think about doing, we are called to be disciples. It's a little bit like um, computer programs. (laughs) Um, You have a computer program, whether it's Word or Excel or whatever else, and it does a job for you, and it's functional, it does something. But it's the operating system, the stuff behind the computer program that says how it's done, whether it works well or whether it doesn't. It's the whole system behind it. And being is a bit like that. What is our operating system doing as opposed to our activities? So often we think about discipleship, it means reading the Bible or reading books like this or praying or going to church or serving or, 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 or singing or whatever. And those are all brilliant things, really, really passionate about that. But all of them are means to an end. They are not end in themselves. The end goal of it all is being with Jesus. That's why we read scripture. It's not because we get brownie points. That's why we pray. It's not because we have to do this set thing and then we, we make it. We do it in order to be with Jesus. We're called to spend time with Jesus. I get a little frustrated sometimes when I read the Gospels because um, out of three years of Jesus' life, we get very precious little information about what goes on. We get some insights I don't think what happened is they set off from Capernaum. Jesus said this to Simon Peter. Simon Peter replied, and then they were silent until they got to Bethsaida. And then the next thing happened. I don't think that happened. I really would be interested to know, know the behind-the-scenes things and DVDs today. You watch the movie, and then you watch the behind-the-scenes, or they do it in TV programs. You have like the X Factor. You watch the program, and then they have the behind-the-scenes stuff because we like to see what actually went on. Because with Jesus and his followers, there was lots of walking, there was lots of eating, preparation of food, there was sleeping, fishing, chatting, joking, laughing, collecting firewood, crying, arguments, mistakes, fallouts, celebrations and family issues. And Jesus lived with his disciples through all that. They spent time with him. And this silence that happens in the Gospels um, was filled during the days of the early church by a bunch of people called the Gnostics. And they made up a whole new secret teaching. And they said, Jesus told his disciples this stuff in secret. And totally goes against everything that he said in public. But he told it in secret, so it must be true. And the early church went, no, that's nonsense. <laughs> and it got rejected. And then it got rediscovered again in the 19th century. And people went, oh, this must be true. It was rubbish. Because it wasn't written by people who walked with Jesus. Jesus. Who wanted to know what what happens when you spend time with Jesus? Because being a follower, a disciple, an apostle of Jesus is not just about learning what the master says or learning what the master does, but learning who the master is. Spending time. We talk about spending time because it comes at a cost, it's an investment. An investment of time with Jesus. First and foremost, our call is to be with him, to spend time with him. To learn from, live with, watch, walk, ask and listen, get to know. That's the call for the other disciples. It's the call for the apostles and it's the call for us as well. To be with Jesus, to be like him. And this isn't done by following a set of rules or guidelines or a how to be like Jesus and follow him, tick a box and everything is fine. It's more subtle than that. Has anyone ever heard of a thing called the chameleon effect? Anyone? Yeah, you were at the 915 service, so you've heard it before. Cheat. Uh, Right, the chameleon effect. I would guarantee nearly all of you will have experienced the chameleon effect. Okay, I'll give you an example. Have you ever been engrossed in a conversation with another person? And all of a sudden, halfway through the conversation, you realize that both of you are standing exactly the same way. And even when you change it, a couple of minutes later, you realize you're both standing exactly the same way. That's the chameleon effect. Or perhaps um, you're speaking to someone with a really strong accent, and by the end of the conversation, you're speaking like someone from from the Netherlands, like that. (laughs) And then you realize the person you're speaking to is from Scotland, and it's really confused. But... uh, But we we copy that kind of thing, don't we? We end up speaking like that. When we spend time with our friends, we develop almost a vernacular language with each other based on memory and experience. And you use little phrases and words and turns of phrases. And maybe even like a secret language between friends. And it could be a bit exclusive, but it's what happens. It's the chameleon effect. We take on people's languages, the in-jokes, mannerisms. If you think that you don't do the chameleon effect, think about what happens when someone yawns. Even now, I've said the word "yawn," and people are going, "I'm not going to do it." (laughs) But I saw a yawn over there. Brilliant! I win. Um, It's part of a thing called the mirroring effect. And couples who've been married for many years, they take on each other's mannerisms, their turns of phrase, their accent. Some people even say their faces start to look like each other. I'm really sorry, Helen but I'm all right. (laughs) Um, Because muscles kind of reflect mirrors over a certain time, yet you start to change. Some people say you look like your dog as well. I'll not go there. Okay. This is because we have a thing called mirror neurons. We mimic. We imitate. It's a way of social bonding. It's a way of learning. And how we know that is whenever you have a baby in front of you and they say to you, and what do you well-educated, intelligent, Responsible individuals do, <laughs> and then the baby goes, "Ooh, they understand me, Coo-coo-ca-ca. Coo-coo-ca-ca. and you have a conversation in baby language. But then, as the years go on, maybe you lose your temper in front of your child or your grandchild, and you say the wrong thing. Maybe a, a naughty word slips out, and two weeks later. The same word comes out of your child's mouth or your grandchild's mouth. And you go, I have no idea where they learned that from. <laughs> we learn by imitation. We learn by spending time. The longer we spend with Jesus, the more like one we become. We look at the fruits of the Spirit, today's Pentecost. We think of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And these are things we want to be like. And so we we say, this is my New Year's resolution. I want to be more kind. I want to be more joyful, more peaceful. I want to be like these things. I read Jesus' stories about how lovable he is. I want to be like that, so I intend to be like that. I'll get a mentor, a counselor. I'll read a book. I'll do this. I'll do that. And we try to do so many things. It's like Christian self-improvement courses. There's only one way to do this. We just don't like it often because it involves a cost. The way to develop these is to spend time with someone who's like it. And the person who's like this the most is Jesus. You want to be like this? Spend time with Jesus. And it will happen without you even noticing at times. When people will go, when you, when you become a Christian and people say, you are so different Why are you different? Because you're spending time with Jesus and his Holy Spirit is involved. So it's not just about mirroring, it's about the Holy Spirit's influence with you as well. We become more like Jesus the more we spend time with him. That's how this happens, not through a Christian self-help book. They do help, they encourage us, they challenge us, they bless us. But this is how it's birthed in our hearts and our lives. Spending quality time with Jesus means that we end up with the Jesus qualities. I know um, for a fact whenever I haven't spent enough time with Jesus, I suspect maybe you notice if I haven't spent enough time with Jesus, I just i am not as sharp spiritually. I find things harder spiritually if I've not spent enough to quality time with Jesus. Old characteristics surface again. A temper flares up when really it used to be more in control. I think slightly dubious thoughts. I'm more susceptible to temptation. I'm less other person focused because I've spent less time with the one who is. You are invited to spend time with Jesus. These disciples, these apostles, had an official invitation by name. He called them to those whom he wanted. Jesus wants every one of you to come and spend time with him. Not just at church, not just in a prayer group, not just listening to the latest Wren collective album on the CD, to come and spend time with Jesus. The thing is, are we with Jesus or do we rather have We'd rather have Jesus with us to fit in with our agenda, our timetable, our plans, our picture of what Jesus looks like. Or do we actually say, no, I want to spend time with you, Jesus, and follow you. Live his example and not our own. I spent time on that because I think it's fundamentally important that we... We get that. Before we think about being sent out or doing anything, we have to learn to be with Jesus. He appointed the 12 to be with him that he might send them out to preach. That he might send them out to have authority to drive out demons. And we have that authority. We have that challenge to spread God's word. We are given a purpose It's not just about a passive experience with God. It's not just about individualistic spirituality. It's not just about an introspection. It's about you you are with Jesus in order to go out and change the world for him. To go out and be like Jesus. Did you, um, did you ever come across these the WWJDs? What would Jesus do? If I had more time, I would have liked to have doctored them to be HWJB. How would Jesus be? How would Jesus be? Because it's Jesus making us, it's making a situation more like, um, let me say and put it, it's not like saying I, sh- I do these things because I should because Jesus says I have to. It's because we become so like Jesus that we want to do things for him. So it's not we see someone on the street who's begging and we go, I really should be a Christian and be like Jesus and do that. Often we think it instead, we should just immediately be stirred in our hearts, Jesus style, and respond to that. His concerns become our concerns because we become like him. Jesus is the role model, the demonstrator, the exemplifier, the modeler that we follow. He demonstrates what the kingdom of God looks like, to those around, and he shows us how to repair the world one life at a time. That's what he was doing with his disciples. That's what we learn when we read the scripture. And so the call to be with him and then to be sent out, he gives it to the 12. He sends 12 out and they come back again. He sends out the 72 and they come back again. And we'll look at that passage in just a minute. What happened when he did that? What happened when he sent these people out who'd spent time with him? Well, the first thing that happened is, they returned, and they reported what they did. What did they do? What did the apostles and the disciples do? It says that they drove out evil. They preached the gospel. They taught people to repent, and they healed in the name of Jesus. They went and did this. Now, when we read Acts chapter 3, and we read about Simon Peter and James and John go, John going to the temple, and they see a cripple, so often it's portrayed almost like an afterthought going, oh, I'm Peter. Jesus healed, maybe I should too. That's not what happened. We have evidence here that Peter was involved in the ministry of Jesus while Jesus was around. So whenever he walks he sees this cripple, he doesn't go, right, what would Jesus do? He is so inspired by Jesus that he just does what Jesus does. It's almost like muscle memory. He has developed by being with Jesus a Jesus instinct. Wouldn't that be great if that was what was birthed in us? A Jesus instinct rather than a list of shoes and have-tos. So they did these great things. They came back and they reported. And we read in a couple of different places in, in Mark uh, 6, uh, in Luke chapter 10. They returned and they reported. And Jesus reviewed and rejoiced with them. It says he was filled with joy. They came back filled with joy at what they'd seen happen. Jesus was really excited. He said, that is brilliant. Well done. What you've done is fantastic. He celebrated. They were amazed. And it's something we could learn from because when we do something good for the kingdom, we're not allowed to enjoy it. Because that's pride. We did a great prayer meeting. You shouldn't say it was great. Jesus rejoices with these guys saying, brilliant. It's fantastic. I saw Satan fall like lightning. You have done a great work. It's okay to enjoy serving God. You're allowed to smile when you do it. And you're allowed to rejoice and feel fulfilled when we do what God wants us to. Jesus enjoys it. But what does he also do? In Luke chapter 10 in particular. He refocuses them. And he revives them. Luke 10 verse 20 and Mark chapter 6. Jesus says it is brilliant what you've done. It is superb that you've defeated the powers of evil in people's lives. And he says but however. As brilliant as that is, don't rejoice about it. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let's get a bit of focus here. It's not about what you do for the kingdom. It's about the fact that you are saved. It's about the fact that you are with me. That's what's important. It's not what you do, what you achieve. It's not how successful anything is. Because then we read in, um, in Mark 6, about the 12 returning. And it says, Jesus sent out the twelve, they came back and they told him with joy what they'd seen. And they were so busy, it was so popular, people were coming and going, they'd even forgotten to eat. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say that. He says this, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Because we can get so caught up, I'll just put that back on again. We can get so caught up in the work of the Lord that we forget the Lord of the work. So he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Does anyone know what happens next without looking in the Bible? Jesus takes them away to a quiet place, but they don't do it very well because 5,000 other people go, there they are, and start following them. And they haven't got any food. And so Jesus says, right, you feed them. So the disciples say, What with? And he said, Well, here's five those, and two fish. And they pray and they feed 5,000 people. What happens next? What happens next? Go on. There are 12 basketfuls of bread left over. We have hungry disciples who've not eaten. And at the end of it, there are 12 basketfuls of food for them. Have you ever noticed that? The before and after. Jesus provides what they need. And then it says straight that. immediately afterwards, he makes them get into a boat and goes. He says, go away. It wouldn't have been popular with people because we like you having you around. We want to do this. We want you to do that. And Jesus says, no, go. Because it's more important to be with me than it is to do stuff. Because when we do stuff on our own, we end up becoming self-reliant. We end up, Becoming self-focused, we end up burning out. So Jesus says, regardless of the success, you remember to spend time with me. I am the source of your service. A reminder again, being with him is more important than doing. So the last thing, we talk about the call of God, and we often go to Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. This is consistent with what Jesus has said already. Before there's purpose and power, there's presence. Amazing we were singing that song. We didn't plan that. The song we just sang was about your presence. Before purpose, before a mission statement, Before an act of giving of power and authority, you get it by spending time with me. I've shared a number of times, and I'll just finish with this, in the past about my calling whenever I was 17 at a big youth event. I felt the Lord call me to be a pastor. and, And I've shared that a few times over the years, that that was my calling. And doing this message has actually made me revisit that and realize my calling came many years before that. My calling came... And God was knocking on the door. My calling was not to become a minister, a pastor, or a preacher, at least not initially. My call, your call, our call, the disciples' call, was first and foremost to come and be with me. That's our call. And everything else springs from that. Before all else, worthy, good, noble, humble, righteous, or whatever, we are called by name to be with Jesus. All other things spring from there so this morning we're going to worship do you want to come on up oh come on I think there's going to be some guys here who are going to pray with you if you want some prayer but the challenge for us all